Hey, this is singer-songwriter and mental health advocate Stephanie Mathias. Be sure to check out my single Hero Side, available on all platforms now, and listen to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best indie artists. Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And joining me now to talk about her recently released book, Framing a Life, Building the Space to Be Me, is author Roberta Kurloff. Roberta, welcome to the show. It is very cool to have you here. Thank you so much. I look forward to chatting. Yeah, yeah. This book is really, really interesting. Um, it really is basically about, about you. You know, it, it's uh, it's really about your life and really the focus seems to be the concept of home, because throughout the course of the book, it's right. kind of your your search for a home. So I'm curious um, kind of why this was the central theme for your story. I think because, um, as I explained in the book, my mother died when I was six years old and my father tried to I could he was a. Uh, cab driver and it was really hard for him to care for us he, and for one year we went to live on a farm in uh, Flanders New Jersey for my aunt with my aunt and uncle and that was a wonderful experience to be in the country to work with animals and you know with cows and, and chickens and uh, but then uh, my aunt uh, got cancer and she um couldn't care for us any anymore. And my father couldn't find family members at that point that he felt comfortable with. So we ended up moving to an orphanage. And I, uh, my brother was uh, th three then, and I was uh, seven. And we lived there for about five years and then moved back with my father. And that's why home is so important to me. And to have a home that's my place, not living with other strangers. And so when I finished law school and moved to Connecticut, I eventually bought a home with my then partner. Then when we broke up and uh, I, we had planned to move up to Maine, we bought this land, but um, she wasn't ready for that. And I really needed to be in open in an open area, get out of the city. I love to go to the city to visit, but I really need to come home to uh, to my land and um, family, and my, and I had friends in Maine. We had friends in Maine, so that just seemed the perfect place. It just kind of reminded me of um, uh, New Jersey, the farm on New Jersey, and it was so different from living in an orphanage. And this was my space, my place. Yeah, I really love how part of the book is you actually building your house. Like you're you're standing there on the land holding like these uh, these like stakes to kind of mark the the uh, property lines and just kind of reflecting on hey how did I get here I guess I'd like to ask about just the journey that kind of took you from you know from where you were before to kind of where you are now I I think partially in terms of coming to Maine was because I had friends here and I was really tired of uh, living in the city I was a New Yorker at first you know I was born in New York and uh, lived in Yonkers in, in, the, in the orphanage and also in Far Rockaway in the, the first orphanage. Um, I needed 
something that felt like it belonged to me, that I was a part of, and I could choose what I want to do with it and how I want to live. And after being tired practicing in uh, as an attorney in Connecticut and wanting to do more, I just, and visiting our friends, I just fell in love with Maine and fell in love with the land that I eventually bought. That's how I got here. Cool. It was just one of those things that you move on, you grow, and you make discoveries. Yeah, yeah. I love Maine personally. I've been, I, I used to camp there a bunch, and my grandfather had a place up there. So I've been to Maine a bunch of times. Uh, oh. What about Maine really appealed to you? The, the land, yeah. the open land, the Acadia National Park, the friendliness of people and, and neighbors. It just, it, it just reminded me of uh, Flanders, New Jersey, the farm. And it was, it's just so beautiful here. I'm surrounded on my property. I have 13 acres and I'm surrounded by trees that are scary when it's winter and storms we sometimes have. But um, it's just so beautiful, and I just love to walk here. And every morning I walk the dog, and we go down uh, a road that used to be a dirt road. Now it's a paved road. And it's, it's uh, I love the people of Maine. I love the easiness of it. People are supportive, friendly. They share. Neighbors help you out. And that makes a big difference. Calming. Very oh, yeah. calming. Yeah. I think especially yeah. after like city life to move to live out there, probably a big difference. Yeah. And I love city life. I like to go to the city yeah. now and then. I mean, I go to Bar Harbor, but that's not, not Bar Harbor. I'm in Bangor. Um, it's not a city like in in Connecticut or New mm. York, but it's, it's perfect. It's, it's friendlier. It's slower, yeah. which is it's nice. Yeah. Now, and I'm... I practice here too as a lawyer. Oh, cool. Um, for I think it's eight years, and um, I'm now retired. But um, and it was a sm uh, small town practice. And um, first I was on, I went on my own, and then I went with uh, another attorney, and then with another office. And it was just it was I love to talk to clients. I love to share the stories with them, their life stories. It's like being a therapist, and I gain so much from it as well. And I can share my stories. So it's a kind of, I love my work and I and I loved uh my clients and now I just enjoy retirement. <laughs> and keep and keep busy. Yes. I got well, a chance to find, finally write two books. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm curious as to what happened that made you say, you know what, I wanna chronicle my story here. Well, what happened in uh oh nineteen ninety-five, I went to a silent meditation retreat in uh Massachusetts. And I had always thought about writing a book. I don't know why it was always in my head. And I kept, I kept a journal. I literally have 35 journals. And at the retreat, um, and it was a silent meditation retreat, something started to happen that I couldn't um, stop. It was sitting and listening to your inner self you have this opportunity to discover so much. And that's what I was going through. And suddenly this idea of a book came to me and it was, and the name of it was Everything Special Living Joy. And that was my first book, Poems and Prose to Inspire. And that just poured out of me. And I think it was, the t it, it happened because I had the time to be quiet, 
the time to sit, not think about work, not think about anything else, and then suddenly go deep inside to um which surprised me enormously. And so when I came home, I decided I wanted to get this book printed. And eventually it took years because I just was still working and I had the book done. And then people would ask, how did that happen or what was going on? And after about a number of years, I realized I want to share that experience with people. And so I wrote the memoir to share that experience and to share that we're never really alone, that we're always have, um, we have support even when we don't really understand what's happening to us. And I wanted to share that wisdom that I found by um, uh, writing Everything Special Living Joy. And I wanted to share my life to have people see that they, we can be survivors, that we survive so much in life. And we see those stories every day with people. And so I wanted to write my story to see that you can live in an orphanage, you can have a hard life, but you can grow and you can move forward. And that's what I've done. Not always easy, of course. <laughs> Far from it. It rarely is. It rarely is. When it came to writing about your life in this book, how was that for you to kind of revisit these parts of your life? Because I know not all of it was good. I think I'm a person who accepts the good and the bad, even when it's really painful. And having um, my journals helped me release so much of the pain. And that's why I said, like, I have 35 journals. And, uh, and I'm still, I still write in a journal. I probably have maybe 36 or seven now, I think. I don't know what I'll do with them at, at some point, but um, it's just releasing. It's like therapy. It, it's like going inside of yourself. And if you're really honest when you're writing your journal with your feelings, that was re that really helped me through. Now, um, I've seen a couple of visuals of your house, which is absolutely beautiful, by the way. And Thank you. Thank you. this isn't a place you just bought. You actually helped build it. <laughs> Oh yes, yeah. When I was in when I decided to move up here, I met with a friend in New Haven where I was living and she's in, designs homes. And so I told her what I wanted and I had been traveling up here a lot visiting people before I moved up and I knew I wanted a passive solar house, reverse solar where the high side of the house faces the um the north, the north and the west, and the and the sun is on the south side. So you you always have sun in the house, and you don't have to heat it as much because if you set your your house in the right direction, then you get a lot of sun in that. Sometimes it's too hot, <laughs> um, and I have to pull the shades down. It's just it's an open concept house. It's it's the upstairs is uh, a half of the house, and so you you can look down to the first floor and the there's this um I of course had to have a chimney and have to have a stove because everybody in Maine has a stove that heats the house so I did that so that that was a big job because I had to get wood delivered and I had to carry wood inside regularly even in winter so there are trials and tribulations with some of that um and I had friends who were really helpful 
So my my house is like a passive solar house, reverse they we call reverse passive solar. And I'm surrounded. I decided where I wanted the house and and have driveway and parking area. And and I didn't want if neighbors, if more people moved in the vicinity, I didn't want it to be crowded. So I bought land enough that I have privacy, but I have wonderful neighbors now. I have it, more ne- people moved around, but they they can't see my house from the from the road, and um, it just um, it feels good. You are basically living my life goal. Just just so you know, <laughs> you are more or less mi- living my life goal. It's quiet. Plot of land where I can have my wonderful house. I design the whole thing just the way I want it. Uh, you are yeah. This is life goals here. Life goals. <laughs> it wasn't easy, but oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Do you feel like the house? Yeah represents you are there any aspects of your personality or your spirit that are kind of in the design i don't know about in the design but in the house there's a lot of artwork family artwork artwork from friends family pictures at pictures of deceased animals that i've had dogs cats um <laughs> when i moved here i had one dog and three cats and then I think that it was three. And over time, dogs and cats moved in and out, you know, but, you know, after they died. And so I made this the way I, pers- it didn't look like the the farm, you know, um, in Flanders, New Jersey, where I lived when I, after my mother died. But I think the farm had an impression on me that I hadn't realized until I was much older. And that was living in living with trees and living with animals in the area. Like I've seen bears and I've seen <laughs> and deer always are around the property um, and, until Ruby, my dog, starts barking. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's so nice to walk on, on in the fields that I have. So I it, it's I think Flanders was the or New Jersey, Flanders in New Jersey on the farm, really was made me interested in, in living this way. You know, I definitely can speak to the wildlife too, because I live in Western Mass. So there's a lot of wildlife here, and I have seen bears, oh, yeah. which have scared the hell out of me. Uh, yeah. I've also seen deer, I've seen turkey vultures, eagles, oh, yeah. uh, foxes, all kinds of things. So it's, it's cool. I like it. I definitely like it out here. I know. I know. Now, I understand that part of your part of your journey included an eight-year spiritual quest, and during this yes. time, you got to explore uh, your Jewish roots, also the Kabbalah, mm-hmm. Buddhism, and the uh, concept of reincarnation. I'm curious what right. what began this journey and kind of how you changed as a result of it. I, I guess I always had an interest in in understanding, I mean, and believing that life goes on after we die. That it's not just we go to, into the earth, and and I think there is so much more to us, and to our, that we are souls, and our, and the souls are experiencing different aspects of growth. And I think when I was working at the university in Orono, um, Maine, my first job, I went to the library there, and suddenly discovered books on reincarnation. And this was this happened after my partner Nancy died um, in a car accident, 
And I talk about that a lot in the book. And I was trying to understand on a higher level what's going on. And I think that death just shot me into trying to understand and learn. And I started reading about reincarnation. I started reading about death and dying. Uh, Stephen Levine's books that he's a great writer on and famous on death and dying and so many other books. And I wanted to share what I learned. And I started doing some workshops that I was working at the time at the university, running a legal services program there. And so I had the opportunity to meet people, um, professors who were interested in these issues. And we did conferences. And so I was able to talk about reincarnation. And um, and there were books in the library by uh, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who's very famous. And I always like to mention this because people can read those books. In, um, and he went and to India and other places where people talked more easily about reincarnation, past lives, and his stories are amazing. And I was having dreams and experiences um, after Nancy, Nancy died that just um, I was going out of my body in some of those experiences. And it was a little scary at first, but then it was exciting and flying dreams and things of that sort. And sometimes I know some people think this is crazy, you know, but it wasn't crazy. I'm not crazy. It was just amazing. It was a time period where the death, Nancy's death just pushed me into trying to understand because I've had so many losses in my life. And then suddenly this one ha happens. And the most amazing thing about that experience with Nancy and her family is I, de I developed another family, Nancy's parents and sister. And, I and I'm still very, very close to them. And she died many, many years ago. You know, I like to ask, you mentioned that you've had a lot of losses. I'm, I'm really sorry about this. Yeah. I'm curious how you view that when someone, you know, moves on to the next part of their journey. How do you sort of view that? I guess because I believe that life goes on even after death and that probably I'll be reborn numerous times in different roles. Of course, I cry and I and I sometimes scream and when I lose somebody that's so important to me and it's so sad. but. I think the strength that I gained from living in the orphanage when you had to be tough and strong and fight for yourself, those those qualities is one that kept me going. And then reading about death and dying and uh, doing workshops uh, for hospice. I was a hospice workshop leader and doing workshops for hospice. I really got to talk to so many people who are experiencing these things as well and how they were dealing with death and dying. And it's just life's reality that we have to live with. And it's it's like, for instance, I think I mentioned to you earlier that just a few months ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and I was extremely healthy. I had never been really sick much at all. And so this was a total shock. And so now I'm dealing with that, but gratefully I'm in remission. So I've kind of accepted life and accepted the reality of death. And so it doesn't like people panic sometimes and they freak out. And I don't know, I don't do that anymore. Maybe it's 
because of aging and what I've gone through. But um, I decided I, I accept what what is, and I make sure that I live well in terms of caring for myself, of course. Following this eight-year journey you took, do you feel like you're a very different person as a result? Oh, yes, without question. I think prior to that, um, the eight years, uh, I was very political, very active, worked really hard, and still, even after that, worked hard when it comes to working um, as a lawyer. Um, But the eight years gave me time to process and to slow down and to look at life differently. And that really helped me through and it gave and then participating in some of the programs that I helped start at the university when we had conferences just added to that. It just it filled me up. So the eight years at and on one level were totally painful because the loss was so great. I was not you know, I lost my mother but and family members, but this loss of Nancy was really different. It was just such a shock because I was we were younger. But it it set me on a road. I think it was meant to be because Nancy's family became my family. We are still close and her father is deceased, but her mother isn't. She's like almost 100 years old, I think. And we still keep in touch and I have visited her. So I've my life expanded between that and my new partner, Bernice, who's not so new because it's been like 27, 28 years <laughs> since then. But we have a wonderful life and and the land is a joyful place to be. I'm pretty sure 28 years qualifies as a, as, um, as a long-term relationship. Yes. Well, we're married too. Aww, that's wonderful. <laughs> we did get married Aww, when we were allowed to get married. Aww, yeah. That's wonderful. Writing this book, do you think that it gave you any new perspective on your past? Yes, I, it, it has, because anytime you look back at your life, um, it depends when you look back. When you're maybe 30 or 40, you look back at your life, but it's a different, you're, you're coming from a different space. And when you're, you're older, you're looking at it differently also. It, and I think my perspective is generally the same, but um, more accepting. I that's what I would say. I, I guess the difference is is that life becomes more accepting, the loss becomes more accepting, living becomes as you age becomes more real in terms of thinking about you won't be here after a while, and so you live more in the moment, and that's I think so important. Oh, agreed. How do you do that? How do you live in the moment? Not easy. <laughs> um, meditate, walk in the uh, walk, and share with my partner, with my spouse. I mean, and talk about those things that are painful. Release the pain. It's not. It's not easy. That's for sure. Um, you have to look at yourself deeply within, and it's really hard for a lot of people to look within. They can blame the outside things that are happening to them. And I always try to look inside, to look like if I'm upset with somebody, I want to, I want to really understand why I'm upset. Why am I getting this way? Why am I angry? Or why am I 
sad. And it's not easy, but uh, it's like it's therapy. It's challenging. But I think it's so important to do to just make the most of one's life. And if you're living in uh, holding anger and or holding in disappointment, because we have disappointment all the time in life. And if we it, we can let it take us over and be depressed or we can acknowledge it and try to live better and more fully. And so that's the attitude that I've seemingly always have had. And I think it does extend from my childhood. And also from my um, understanding my father's life. He, he grew up in Russia, then Ukraine, and had a tough life. 13, 12 brothers and sisters, and they had to, uh, and he, and the stories, I think I share one or two stories in, in my book about um, his life. And I think what it was for my father, he turned inward and sad. He didn't live fully as he aged. And I watched that and I didn't want to be like that. And I know his circumstances and I, and I took it, we took him, Bernice and I took him in to live with us um, because I felt he couldn't live alone anymore in New York City. And so he lived with us until he chose to die. And then we, I allowed that to happen. I talked with hospice and other doctors and um, he was ready. And, and so I've, ex- I accepted that and I made my life so much fuller because I, at the end with him, we had gotten much closer from his dying. I want to talk a bit about your mother, if if we could. Sure. I read that you um, um that you wrote her a lot of a lot of letters after after her passing. Yeah. If it's not too personal, I'd like to ask what those were about. There, some of the, most oh, there are a number of them in the book. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah, and and I wanted to put those letters in the book. Because my in my journals, my journals are always to Dear Eva. And it's such, this is my mother's name. And it's such, and working and writing in a journal was so sustaining for me, kept me going to be able to express all that I needed to express. And how you express it is when you, you talk to somebody. And in my journal, it, it's Dear Eva. And so I and, and in my book, I have some of the, the letters that I wrote to her, um, including some from childhood when I was maybe 16 or 18 and then others. So and I, as I mentioned, I think to you that I have uh, 35 journals. I still write Dear Eva because <laughs> it makes it feels more personal in some ways. It's like almost like, you know, having a conversation and one sided, of course. But um it's for, it's fulfilling and it it relaxes me. All right, folks. Well, we are coming down to the end of the conversation. Just a few more questions to go. Roberta, I'd like to ask about book release day. Now, this book re- uh, was released back in July 18th, and I know right. bo- I know book release dates can always be fun things. They can also be terrifying things. So I'm curious yeah. about what it was like for you when this book came out and you were basically sharing your story with the world. Well, I have no problem sharing my story with the world. The problem was that I was sick with the, the cancer, and I, I, I have not been able to um, do crowds yet in bookstores. So I've been, gratefully, I'm so happy to, that there's things called podcasts, and then I've been able to do that with you and, and some others. And I hope that in maybe 
if it's not too wintry here, at some point I will I can do bookstores. But I was afraid with the cancer to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I'm yet ready until I get confirmation for sure that it is totally gone or in remission. And it is in remission, but we're um, I'm still at the beginning stages of that. Sure. And so is is so it's wonderful to be able to do the podcast and and I hope that I will do more like in bookstores at some point. I hope so. I really do. Um, Thank you. I want to ask about your first book, Everything Special, Living Joy. You examine how we how we look at life, whether the glass is half empty or full. I yeah, think I know right. the answer, but I'd like to know your viewpoint. About looking at life half full. Nice. Yes. I like that. Okay. I think from everything I've shared with you that I hope you can see and readers and, and listeners can understand it, that it's it's a matter of of an attitude and believing. I mean, we could look down on our life and que- and you know I've questioned my life so much and I've gone through therapy and I think when I went to that silent meditation retreat and suddenly the words just poured out of me from um, everything special, living joy. I it was my soul talking, and that's what I meant to talk about in that book. Um, and it's poetries and poems that inspire. And it just, it was so amazing, the experience of sitting and having this stuff pour out and trying to write it down while I was in the meditation retreat when I shouldn't be writing, but I couldn't help it. And I wrote most of that at the silent meditation retreat because I had this opportunity that I, to go inside, to not be with the family or friends to be just in this place where all you do is sit and meditate. And that just was the most unbelievable experience I've had. And I say in the book that my soul finally said, it's about time, you know, you're connecting with me. And, and I was connecting with my soul because I do believe we have souls. And uh, obviously that experience and meditation helps that to to get to connect. And I was so open at that silent retreat um, for five days that I made that connection. And I had and all this, the words of everything special were just pouring out. And I was writing them down. And I felt a little guilty because that's not what I should have been doing. I should have been just meditating, but. I couldn't help it. It was there, and and I knew I had to write it down. And I came home and um, and and typed it, but didn't do anything with it for about eight years. I think it was uh, something like that, because I was working still. And 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 then at some point, I said I have to have it published, and so I got it published. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, you can multitask. You know, meditate and write a book. You know, right? You can do right. Just, do both. Right. And be a lawyer at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. The big question that I think a lot of folks are wondering is, is there another book coming out? Possibly. I, th- I think more I would do short stories. I don't know if I have a book in me again. I'm, I'm not sure. But I like to do short stories. I have to do, um, I've been not too diligent with, especially these past couple of months um, with the cancer. I, I really want to do more blogging on my website. Uh, so I, I have 
a, a number of blogs on my website. And uh, there are some pictures of the house on the website, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take a look at that. But I, I definitely want to write more. And I do write, but I haven't published anything more since. But, I, uh, but I'd like to do more stories. All right. Well, Roberta, this is bringing this conversation to a close. I want to say thank you so much for joining me. Um, thank for, you. And for the folks at home, you go to robertakurloff.com. That's, that's Roberta as you spell it. K-U-R-I-L-O-F-F.com. It's all there. You can buy your copy of the book, Framing a Life, Building a Space to Be Me. You can, of course, leave reviews, follow the socials, everything that I talk about a lot to bring these artists up. And uh, definitely looking forward to the next conversation. Thank you. And I just want to add one thing, that at the end of my book, there is a reader's questions. And I think it, it, that's great for... Um, uh, book clubs. So if they want, I have 10 big questions at the end of the book. Well, and, and even if you don't use it in a group, if you if somebody reads them and thinks about their own life, I think it's very helpful. I'm sure it is. And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks to everyone for listening. And be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram at Citywide Max. You can reach me at citywidemax at yahoo.com to suggest a guest or submit music for the Blackout Collection playlist. You can find the show wherever you check out your favorite podcasts. And new episodes are aired every Saturday at 10 p.m. EST on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.